Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, howdy. Or maybe the better term these days is greetings. You have witnessed the first ever Flipbook pod where we will be discussing all things animation. If you don't really watch animation, well, son of a building block, man, you are a sad, strange little person, and I pity you. My name is Kay. I will be taking you along these slightly geeky ramblings as we flip through our favorite movies and series in animated form. With me today, I've got Joey Connors. We wanted to do a special movie for the first one. Have you guessed what it is yet? Well, strap in. It's not so much great podcasting more than talking in style. Time to blast off towards the next hour and maybe beyond you got a friend in me you got a friend in me hey joey how are you okay i'm all good man i know you love toy story man i thought it would be great to cover it it is awesome to do first part ever on toy story how long ago was toy story now joey it was i, I like 20 that hit me 22 years that hit me when, when I was researching the movie that how how old we are and how long ago this movie was it's actually crazy how incredibly well it's been preserved I mean if we go back I mean let's go back to when you first saw the movie Joey like I don't know if you can remember when you watched it in the cinema or something like that or where you were how old we were. we were both 16 when the movie came out but I mean just tell me about when it came out at that time what was going on so when I first saw uh, you know at that point you know, internet was very scarce, even in America. It was not very good. It was dial-up internet. It was crappy. So mm. you didn't really get a chance to see. I used magazines and newspapers for a lot. That might be the first time that I seen this film coming out called Toy Story. And, you know, never has a film ever been like that, made like that before. You've seen some computer generation in 3D, with maybe with Tron, which is a Disney movie, but never the whole movie like that. So... When I watched it, I actually did not watch it in the movie theater that I can recall. I do remember watching it at home with my family. My mom and dad were big time excited for it. Brother, not so much. But yeah, I, I mean, it's one of the most influential films of the last 15 years, at least 15 years. Again, that's what I remember of it coming out. I was very excited. And what tied me to it is I'm a big Tom Hanks fan. And for them to be able to get Tom Hanks to do Sheriff Woody was big for me. He's one of my favorite actors, so I was really interested off the bat right there. But if you remember, Kay, when you used to go to the movies, 
they're still, I guess, prevalent nowadays and they're kind of big, but trailers on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff kind of blows everything out of the water. But if you remember when we were younger, we would go to the movies and see posters and be like, ooh, what is that? Oh, what is that? The coming, the coming movies, right? The co- like what's coming in, the, and you would never know, and there would just be this cryptic poster somewhere, and you go, "Oh man, that looks kind of awesome." Exactly. Yeah, can't wait to like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you know, you, there was no smartphones, there was no internet at your hands. Going, oh, what the? Well, let me look up what this is. So the mm. up for it was really, really good. And you know, anytime that Disney basically is in charge of marketing and putting things out there. They're going to make sure it gets out there. So they, they did a magnificent job for that. Those were my first impressions of Toy Story. You know, with me, it was a little bit different to that. Like I expected a certain thing from an animated movie, particularly a Disney movie. For me, it was always like you go to the movies, you expect this thing, something's going to happen. So you watch it and maybe it was really good. And maybe it was okay, but uh, it was never going to disappoint you. And, and you watch it and it was cool. But I mean, computer generated stuff was moving more and more into the mainstream cinema, you know, stuff at that time. Terminator 2 was out already. Computer-generated stuff was really used in a couple of things. I mean, you said Tron, but there was a, a really big gap between like Tron and, and where we get to for Toy Story. So when all that was going on, like I, I, I got to say, it was exciting that it was fully computer-generated. That was, I think for me, the main thing. And really, I didn't have any real expectation of the story at all. I don't remember going into the cinema thinking about Toy Story is going to be about this thing. It's going to be about that thing. This is the hero. This is the villain. I basically remember walking into the movie going like, this is the first computer-generated movie, the first fully computer-generated movie, end. And there was something about toys, like toys coming alive. And that, that was that's like most of what I can remember. So for me, it was like walking out of it, it was massive because that was one of the first times I think as a... Really, I mean, it's still 16, you're still a kid, you know. So, like, as a kid, in, in, in a huge full-length feature movie actually taken seriously in an animation form. And this was a real film, right? And mm-hmm. I'm going to say from here on in, guys, it's going to be, you know, all-out spoilers. I don't know if that's a if that's a thing I have to say anymore. It's 22 <laughs> years old. You should have watched it by now. <laughs> like, surely. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Joe, from then, just the effect of this movie sort of, Leaving the first time you ever watched the movie, what was your impression of Toy Story? Well, I think you said something really important. It was the first full-length animated film that was basically exclusively computer-generated. Prior to that, all animation was two-dimensional cells, and that was basically animators drawing scene by scene. And that was very, very costly, very labor-intensive. You know, that is literally guys writing on whatever they were using a, a piece of paper almost like a flip book and that's how they would portray mm. the movie on the screen because if you remember in 94 i believe it was lion king it's a great movie in itself but i remember reading the toy story required like three quarters of the budget and only one eighth of the animation staff of it that's amazing that that is absolutely amazing so when i first watched it it was everything i thought it was going to be like I, i'm a bit you know a kid and his toys, it's an intimate relationship. And it's funny because when you're younger, you have such a wild imagination. And as you get older, it kind of goes away because you, unfortunately, you realize what real life is. And, you know, that part of you goes away. It's a shame that it does. Not for everybody, but most people it does. But, you know, you, I never thought one time, like, hey, like, 
I never thought about it like that. Are my toys, could they be alive when I'm not in the room? Like, how do you really know that? Who's to say that they're not? So it was like, wow, this is really cool. But it's a total buddy movie. You know, it, it, mm. if you think about movies, for all the great graphics of this and that, and all the, you know, what, what they made was amazing. You always go back to the story. The story is what makes you remember a movie. Because if you think about it, look at some of the dated movies like Star Wars and Wizard of Oz. Those movies have so many things that are wrong with them visually that we see now. And you're like, wow, that's, it looks average or it's pretty bad. Or like you see things that are left in a scene that weren't supposed to be there. But the thing is, mm. you always remember how great they were because of the story writing. That's what was really, really cool to me. And the one thing that Pixar did very well, and it was a big, bold move for Disney as well, is, okay, you'll know this because you're a Disney fan, and anybody who's a Disney fan will know this, they were all musicals, and they decided to make this not a musical. And that was a big thing for this movie because they had to fight tooth and nail to not get, to not, this, this not be a musical. But the songs they used during points in the movie was just so ace. That was the big thing I remember walking out that cinema, the, singing the song, uh, yeah, You Got a Friend in Me. It was so warm. I, I think I sang it for like a year after that. It was that feeling that you left the cinema of just, you know, wonder of, of this completely ordinary, you know, ordinary relationship between two friends was, was pretty amazing. But I mean, we can get into some of the history here because like you said, this movie was all about the technology. It was literally the only reason it gets made is because of the technology. And, and Disney realized that there's something there. I mean, they literally pushed it to every single studio that they could push it to. Eventually, you know, they had to go back to Disney. There's a history there with John Lasseter. And he has a history with both Disney and Pixar and, you know, Lucasfilm in the middle. And they, they sort of didn't want to go back because there was this weird thing of Disney wanting him back and headhunting him as this golden boy of computer animation. But I mean, anyway, I, I, I'm not going to get to too much detail about that, but literally the entire thing is about the way they animate it. Toy Story comes out as a sequel to a 1988 short film called The Tin Toy. This is really important because Tin Toy won an Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film, and it's one of a string of these awards that really puts computer animated filmmaking on the map, right? And it was it was this weird story about this one-man band, Tin Toy, mm. that was trying to escape this really terrible baby yeah. and and this was this was the wonderful thing about it pixar even at that point was picking up stories right? it wasn't who's the villain in that film like, is the baby the villain no it's not no, you can't make the baby the villain the baby just wants to play with the toy but the toy is alive it looks alive is it alive you know that's the question we were trying to answer you know the whole entire time and the weird thing is that pixar goes to disney and wants to make a sequel to the short film and it's denied <laughs> which is the, mm -hmm. which is the mad thing. And instead, through a weird bunch of, I don't know, proposals that go through the company, instead they're awarded an 80 to 90 minute full feature film with the stupidest names, right? I mean, <laughs> so I, I don't know if you've got the names like with you as well, but some of them were the new toy, which would have been pretty underwhelming. Yeah. The cowboy and the spaceman, I sort of like. Yeah. I sort of like that one. That, that one wasn't bad. The favorite, which also would have been terrible. And the worst one. The worst possible name for this movie was Toys in the Hood. Yeah. There was no worse name for this movie than <laughs> Toys in the Hood. <laughs> yeah, it's a really bad name for a movie. And that's it's funny you bring up Lasseter because, yeah, that's basically what you said. I mean, he went from 
going to Disney and saying, hey, could we make a computer-generated animation movie fully? And was literally fired. And then, he, you know, he went to work, yeah. he went to work at Lucasfilm. I mean, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about Steve Jobs and his influence in it, because Steve Jobs is the one who bought. I can't remember what it, the name of it was before, but he renamed it Pixar. But he's the one who really believed in Lasseter. And then, one, like you said, once they won the Academy, was it the Academy Award? Yeah, the Academy Award for the best animated short film in 88. Then, of course, this guy, the light's shining right on him. So, of course, they want Lasseter back. And, you know, he turned it down because of Steve Jobs' faith in him. So that that's a lot to say. I mean, I think he's quoted as he said, I can go to Disney and be a director or I can stay here and make history. And make history is exactly what he did. Yeah, and they didn't start small. I mean, like you said, if, you know, Okay, the one thing I got to say just before we move on to some of you know the other issues, but this film takes it takes advantage of one of the most natural things for kids. When I was little, the thing about your toys coming to life after you go to sleep, or if you're not there, I remember us having discussions about that, like at break in school, talking about that thing. And so when this came out, it's such a it was such a natural thing to do, and this is just to reinforce your story element that you've said there, Joey, is that they've got the story that is absolutely something that's been told time and time again. We've been listening to it. It's been in stories. It's been in film. It's been in short film. It's been absolutely everywhere. It's been in adverts. To take that and to pull out something like this was absolutely insane. And the way they did it was was absolutely ridiculous. But they always, always, I mean, okay, there were some initial thoughts. So firstly, they wanted Paul Newman to do Woody and Jim Carrey to do Buzz, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, yeah, I mean, Paul Newman, I can see Jim Carrey as Buzz, I'm not sure. You know, the character would have had to change, I think, a little bit. And it might have been for, for the better. But one of the weird things about the development of this movie is actually... Buzz was the first character developed. The, the tin toy turned into a spaceman and eventually became Buzz. And then Woody was added later as mm-hmm. the second sort of all-American hero, which for me was crazy because like Woody is the biggest, certainly one of the most rounded characters, one of the most real characters in the entire thing. If you think like Buzz came first, that's, that's a bit weird. But very quickly, it's Tom Hanks that gets involved early and they sell it to him by showing him a shot of Woody doing uh, a scene from Turner and Hooch, basically. Mm-hmm. And he was he was hooked forever. And to have such a big star so early on must have just been incredible. Yeah, and which which says a lot because that was Tom Hanks' first animated role. You know, for a guy who's that big, take on something like that. It could have been a massive failure, but I guess guys like that kind of can see through the lines and go, hey, you know. I mean, there's a lot of people attached to this movie who are now famous who weren't then. Joel Cohen, Josh Whedon, you know, guys who we know by name now but mm-hmm. you know back then th- they really weren't huge names so yeah they get tim allen to play buzz they offered buzz to billy crystal first and i know billy crystal ended up turning it down and he, he beat himself up over that although he did end up playing mike wazowski and monster so he kind of made up for it but yeah tim allen was like the fourth or fifth person on their list they got Don Rickles, who unfortunately just passed to play Mr. Potato Head. Mm-hmm. They have a, it's a pretty good list. I'm, it, obviously, it's more than pretty good list of voice cast they got. This is the thing, right? I, I only realized by the nuances of sort of voice casting uh, a little bit later, but the, 
the way these actors could see their way through this, because they're literally looking at like wireframes, yeah. textures, and, and there's not even a, it's not even like green screen where you can at least use a prop somewhere. And if you look at films that have come even after an interim period, some of the voice acting was like, it's not, it's not always the, the best. And this one, everybody got it absolutely right. And they sort of, they sort of had to because, you know, the animation wasn't, at a stage where we can recognize, and if you go back to watch Toy Story, oh yes, uh, you know it gets a bit. I mean, all the certainly all the human characters are all uncanny valley. Oh my god, that dog is terrible. Yeah, well, you know, there's a scene. It's funny you said that because there's a scene in the beginning where I think it's the only time in all three of the movies, I think, that you see Andy's friends. Do you remember the beginning? And it's yeah. his birthday party. But the funny thing is, is all of his friends have Andy's face. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, I didn't. I didn't know. They're, it, it's, they're, <laughs> they're, they're Andy, it's. I know they've come a long way since '95, and you know, movies like no way. Yeah, yeah, movies like um, you know, uh, whatever came out recently, like Cars and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank, but you know, all the new ones like Incredibles was the first time they did it with people and faces, and they made them all look like characters on screen. But in Toy Story, when his friends come over. They're all Andy's face, just wearing different clothes. It's the creepiest thing. If you really look at it, I think there's a site dedicated to it as well. You have to look at it. It's really creepy. Andy's face with just different clothes. It's so funny. That's that's the creepiest thing I've <laughs> ever heard. Everybody listen to pod. Go look at it. There is a there is a website dedicated to it. It's so. Oh my god, I'm gonna go look at it. It's so, it's so bad. That, that's, that's amazing. Because, I mean, let's get into sort of why they did that a bit. It's because they were sort of making a lot of it up as they went along. This was the first time anybody's ever attempted the length of this movie. And, and it was, it was so big that Pixar started with what they thought was sufficient animators. They thought, they thought eight animators was enough. Mm-hmm. They ended with more than 30. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. That's an extreme underestimation. If you, if you think that your project would increase like more than threefold in terms of resource usage, you'd probably be fired from somewhere. But I mean, these guys were creating something new. And at least they knew what the limits of the technology was at that point. So uh, you have to remember at this time, computer generated stuff was mostly used for action sequences and like some pretty bad action sequences. Like it was basically a way to to get a cheap effect in there. Nobody was really looking at that and going, yeah, full-length feature film, right there, let's do this, you know? So it's totally an experiment, totally, totally an experiment. That what was so mad about Toy Story is Toy Story was not an action movie. It didn't look at any of the weaknesses of CG. Instead, it exploited all the strengths of computer-generated stuff at that time, or rather the, the limitations of it. Every texture sort of came out plastic. So they didn't mind. So they made a movie about plastic things. Mm -hmm. And then uh, maybe we can sort of get into the the cultural impact here, Joey. Because for me, Toy Story represented a completely different path for Disney in how to tell stories and how stories can be done. Because like really until then, I mean, the Disney thing was pretty set. You have a protagonist and the protagonist was looking for a love interest and there'd be a villain. The film develops by the end of the movie and, you know, sort of like a... In a faraway land, long ago, 
lived a king and his fair queen. Type of thing. There were five songs sung in between. Mm -hmm. I didn't really realize it, but this was this was the format sort of. And Toy Story just blew that out the water completely. Yeah, if you remember, I mean, Disney's bread and butter was basically hand-drawn animation with what you were just saying. So for them to make a full-feature-length film with 3D animation was absurd. They were never going to put their money on the line, name on the line, to put something out there that they didn't think would work. Obviously, you know, there was a lot of struggle. I know the story itself went back and forth. There was actually a work stoppage for a long time because I believe the original ending scene to Toy Story was vastly different than what it ended up being. And, and I think it ended up being a great ending. If you remember, it was the Christmas one where Buzz and Woody are kind of scoping out what Andy gets and it ends up being a puppy. But in the in the original one that the writers wanted to do, it was just the sound of a puppy barking and the shot of the house. But Disney said that, mm. hey, you know, they, Buzz and Woody have to be in this last shot. But yeah, it, it, I mean, the movie just revolutionized film, didn't it? I remember Steve Jobs saying, you know, if Toy Story makes 75 million at the box office, we'll break even. If it makes 100, we'll both make money. Well, it ended up making more than 363 million worldwide. So, you know, you know, Disney didn't even know that this was going to be a hit. It wasn't their December Christmas movie. This movie came out in November. The impact on kids our age, we were 16, but you know, think about the impact on the kids who were younger when they seen this. And this is the thing. This is this is really the big thing, right? Because Disney is what we grew up with. We knew what to expect from Disney and Disney felt it knew what we wanted. Right? So all the while, as you're saying, I mean, just to highlight your point on the script and how it was difficult to develop, Disney kept on coming back to the writers and they kept on saying, we need more people in the story. We need more kids in the story. Because remember, the characters are essentially adults. I mean, they're toys, but they're adult toys, not toys for adults. I mean, the toys are, are like adultish in, <laughs> in appearance. <laughs> Woody is certainly a fully grown man. Buzz is a fully grown man, you know? Yes. The Mr. Potato Head Ham, you know, th these are full around adult characters. And Disney kept on coming back and saying, hey, guys, we, you know, we really need to have more, more people in this movie. This is a kid's movie. We're the kids in it. And Pixar just kept on sort of saying, well, nah, this is the story. And this back and forth ended up with, you know, them, them saying, okay, let's make the story darker. Let's make Woody a darker character. And Woody came out. An absolute prat. Woody was—he was one of the—he was a terrible character. And even Tom Hanks said this at some point, uh, just before the the release of the movie, was that the iteration just before the last iteration, Woody was not a redeemable character. There was nothing redeeming about him. He was just a terrible guy, and not even evil. He wasn't the villain. He was just, uh, you know, he was just obnoxious. Oh yeah, he was cyn and cynical and mean. I mean, he was—he was really mean. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Uh, so what happens is like. A few months, literally, before the release, Pixar decide they're chucking the entire storyboard out. That is a crazy move. How do you decide to do that? How do you decide to do, like, months? It, this movie took five years to make. There's three years of production in it, right? Who knows how many years before that they'd actually spent gathering and developing the technology to make this movie, okay? And months before, they just go, this script is just not good enough. Disney has told us they like this script and it's wrong. That to me was absolutely, it blew my mind. At, at that point, Josh Whedon came on and 
rewrote bits of it and he, he, he basically gave the go-ahead to change a lot of the story and to make it what eventually it became and they re-rendered basically the entire movie. Do you know, I actually, I was talking to you about this before, Joey, but I, I sort of didn't like Woody. Yeah. When, when the movie started, I wasn't Woody's biggest fan, like I gotta say. <laughs> well, there's, I, I can understand that. There's qualities that in a human being, which basically he's being portrayed as, are awful qualities. Then you see a character like Buzz Lightyear and you're like, you know, he's naive, but you almost feel bad for him because he genuinely believes he's a real space ranger. Buzz Lightyear mission log, stardate 4072. My ship is run off course en route to Sector 12. I've crash landed on a strange planet. The impact must have awoken me from hypersleep. You know, it's not his fault that he becomes Andy's new toy. You know, he's trying to, sort of trying to fit in and then you know, whole, all hell breaks loose, but it's a weird one because it, it's a buddy movie in the sense that it's, you know, it's about a little kid and his toys, but it's all it's also about friendship between, well, they end up being really good friends, but buddy movies are, it's about emotion, you know, and if you don't have that, you don't get that right, it doesn't work, and between the music and the, the writing and the, you know, and it's funny you said about the writing, if they had gotten this wrong, they were done. You know, oh, yeah, it was finished. They had a three-picture deal with Disney, and if you don't get the first one right, the next two, you can forget about it. They'll go somewhere else, and, and obviously they nailed it, but that is an, a massive amount of pressure. It is. It is. And uh, to have – what did Disney put into this movie? Like $30 million? That's not a little amount of money. I know, I know it's probably less than what they put into an animation film, but when you're staking your entire career on this. Yeah. But, like, again, you know, what you're saying about the buddy movie – even that was a stretch for these guys. It wasn't enough. I mean, normal buddy movies for me kind of revolve around you have the main protagonist that people follow around and this is, this is the hero sort of of the story. That's his role and you follow him and he meets this person and this person is sort of not a very nice person. And a little while later, the main guy sort of realizes that the other person is actually okay. They're an okay person. It was sort of wrong the whole time. I was, you know, the perspective was wrong. The circumstance made me believe that this person, he's actually a, you know, an okay person. I thought he was bad by some weird circumstance and now he's good. This turned even that on its head. Buzz was never the bad guy. Like you, you never looked at Buzz and thought, ooh, there's something weird about this guy. The fault all rested with the main protagonist and it was a journey of self-reflection. And a journey of understanding that you're better with somebody else and that this person is a friend and, and it's you. You're the person who's being the problem. The situation didn't have anything to do with it. It's you. You had to change a little bit to accept and to do things. And honestly, like I, I didn't like Woody when we started the, the movie. By the end of the movie, I just loved both characters because Woody had actually developed, you know. And this is the thing. That, so, I mean, the other thing I really want to talk about uh, beyond self-reflection is... The villain. You know, can we call anybody a real villain in the movie? Because when the movie starts, you think it's going to be Buzz, right? Buzz is going to be the villain. And then Sid comes along and you think Sid is going to be the villain. They never really, really go out and say, this person is the evil person in this movie. You know, and that was, for me, also exceptionally brave. Yeah, it's, you know, you usually have your main parts of a movie. And, I mean, Sid is the villain, but he's not your typical villain. And, and, you know, like as a villain, he's a weak villain. 
He, you know, he's clearly destroying his toys, making mutants out of them. He tries to blow up Woody with the with the fire or the rocket, and then that that's the creepy part at the end when they all come alive in front of him, which was just a great scene. But yeah, there's there's not really a villain at all. It's just that again, it's a buddy movie, and you know, Woody starts out as the number one. He's Andy's number one toy, and he that's what he's used to, and he hates that Buzz is there, and you know, the whole beginning of the movie, he's just basically telling Buzz, like, hey, you're not a real toy. You're nobody special. You're just another toy. You're not a real space ranger. And that's hard to hear. You know, it's like it's like so it's like a human being telling another human being, like, you're nobody special. You're just another person. Well, if you, if you remember, there was a cartoon called The Far Side. Oh, yeah. And there was one. It was just a single panel. And it was it was this dude sitting in front of a desk. And behind him is a huge portrait of himself. And a scientist has just walked into the room. And they say, Your Majesty, you're not actually, you know, um, King Theobald III. You're actually, your, your real name is Oliver Jones. And you've gone through this entire psychological experiment. And not, it's time to go home now. And, you know, that, that sort of moment, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, you tell it sort of feels like that. It does. It hits you. It hits you. And it literally took one person to, you know, kill his confidence. I mean, it, and it's a shame that it, that happened. But what he does, like you said, he does redeem himself at the end and he becomes a very likable character. Mm. Everybody in this movie is not perfect. It is a departure from Disney. Because people, what they're saying in this movie, if you look at every single character, people can be damaged or broken or not entirely like normal, if you can use that word. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. You know, I mean, that's the basis of one of my favorite cartoons ever is is Winnie the Pooh. And Winnie the Pooh, every single character has a disorder. Yeah. You know, Winnie the Pooh is, is addicted. He's addicted to honey. Owl is a, is a know-it-all and, uh, you know, a bit of a liar sort of. Rabbit has OCD. Eeyore is depressed. You know, things like that. All those things happen. But they all accept each other and everybody's better for it. They all go about their adventures and have these wonderful warm moments because they're fine. And even if you look at a character like Sid, who I would admit when I was younger, I, I didn't pick up on all the little things they were telling me about Sid. But looking back now, he's a full character. He's... If you look at the way his his character is done, if you look at his room, his yeah. room is a mess, right? There's no there's no bedding even. He doesn't have sheets on his bed. It's just like a blanket, and it's it's you know his bed's not made. There's mess everywhere around his house. He just sort of leaves things lying around. His garden, you know, again, just this stuff. It's just stuff everywhere. Uh, he, he, the locks on his door, which is something I only saw recently, but there's like a thousand locks on his door. <laughs> and- no, yeah, and, ahead, and it Joe. touches on a. I'm not sure if you were going this direction, but it basically is a is a young kid who probably doesn't have parents to lead him in the right direction. So we call him the bad guy. That uh, you know, he's not a good kid. He's blowing up his toys, but maybe he doesn't know any better. Maybe he doesn't have anybody who cares enough about him to say, "Hey, buddy, like this isn't what you're supposed to do." Maybe this kid should have some kind of psychological help, but. I know the movie's not that way. Mm. That's just the way that my brain thinks. So that's the way it goes. <laughs> I, for me, I always, yeah, I mean, I, we're alike, Joey, but uh, I, I'm exactly the same, man. For me, I, I always thought that there was, you know, because of the number of locks on his door and the way he sort of, the way his toys reacted, his toys never no, speak. No, they don't. They're scared. 
You know, they're scared, and it's almost like something has been taken away from them. Whereas if you look at Andy's toys, they're all really happy and going about their business and being in character all the time. They're happy with their characters. You know, and they're happy with each other and this world that they live in and that kind of stuff. And they're very outspoken. They say anything to anybody, you know, like if they can. Um, it's only the etcher sketch who <laughs> I think doesn't speak. And by the way, this movie re- reinvigorated, and some people say it saved etcher sketch entirely. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> good. Big well, you, know, you know, it's <laughs> also cool. a good point to bring up is that, like, when you know, if you if you notice, the scenes in Andy's rooms are all very colorful and bright colors and colors that'll yes. make you happy. Right. Whereas in SIDS, it's all black and dark and there's no light. And, it, you know, they use that really well. I always thought that it was purposeful and uh, uh, not not always thought, sorry, that I didn't think about it for uh, probably a decade after I watched the movie, but <laughs> I, I feel now that it was it was purposeful in that the toys represent the kids and that it almost felt like with the broken toys, something was taken away from them, just like maybe something was taken away from Sid. And in his own way, I mean, especially if you, you know, he does a bit of a mean thing to his sister in that, you know, he takes his sister's doll's head off and puts a pterodactyl head yeah. on it. No one's ever attempted a double bypass brain transplant before. Now for the tricky part. But, you know, beyond that, Sid is actually a creative kid. You know, he's, he's taking apart his toys and he's putting it together. He's making full-on imaginative scenarios for his toys to play in. And he's doing a lot of science. There's a lot of science happening. And so, you know, you just sort of feel if there was somebody there for Sid, Sid would be not just a, a really good kid, but just a happy and really imaginative, really go-getting type of kid who would be doing sorts of, you know, incredible things, really. So, yeah, I didn't pick that up when I, when I watched the movie the first time. But on subsequent showings, I really like how they did his character. I really like how... He's sort of almost cast in the role of villain, but you watch it again and it's just a natural progression. These are things that happen. You know, it's happened and this is how a normal story goes about. And I, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. I'm, and I'm not surprised. I don't know if you want to move on to this now, Joey, but I'm not surprised by how much this movie just grossed worldwide. It grossed much more than people thought it would. It received much more critical acclaim than it thought it would. And something you already talked about but it was it was nominated for the academy award for best original screenplay which was absolutely amazing yeah i mean again making over 363 million dollars worldwide for a movie that disney frankly wasn't sure about is pretty amazing and remember to go back to the last point we were talking about disney was always used to the story ending perfectly like the the princess getting her prince this was a big difference from that. Even with the prior release in The Lion King, ended well. But if you think about Andy, sorry, I'm going off on a little tangent here, Kay. But if you think on, about Andy, I don't know if people pick up on this, but obviously you know there's no father there. His father just left them. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a few things that point to that. If you there's a scene when Woody's sliding down the railing, and they show pictures of the family, and the dad's nowhere on there. I think that's mm-hmm. why they were moving the whole time. It's because maybe the mom's got one income now. You know, that's why they were moving to a smaller home, a different area, because they couldn't afford that house anymore. I think the dad just skipped town on them, which is obviously a horrible thing. But that's the real life of this movie, of an animation movie. 
it's one of the reasons it's just so ahead of its time. Like so many kids watch that movie, but their parents go and they're like, wow, like I just, kids don't even know what that really is, but I, I, I sure picked up on that. And that like mm-hmm. a boy and his relationship with toys or animals or something like that is a huge thing in a young boy's or young girl's life. So I wanted to get that out there. So as far as the reception went, like you said, it, it was it was up for I think it was three, was it three awards? I can't remember who. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, and it didn't yeah. win, but it, it actually brought in in 2001. They actually brought in best animated feature because of this movie. That's a huge mm. thing because Oscars are obviously hesitant to change anything. It's basically just the white Oscars all the time. So, but yeah, it was, it was very, very, I mean, it was received very well. If I remember correctly, people just flocked, flocked to it and it deserves it. It's Disney Pixar's first together, obviously, but it was just such a great movie. And again, I already brought up the point about what Steve Jobs said about, you know, if we make 75, that's breaking even, but nobody could have saw breaking 363 million worldwide. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. I think that's the third highest grossing of all time behind The Lion King and Aladdin for animated films. Yep. And, you know, that was mm-hmm. after both of them, not long after, because Aladdin was 92, and we already spoke about Lion King was 94. So it's a pretty amazing accomplishment for a bunch of guys who were basically doing it on the fly. And, I mean, it, it lit the way, right? I mean, you were talking about the Oscars adding Best Animated Feature, but the particularly original screenplay, The Incredibles, Finding Nemo, and up subsequently nominated for that. So, I mean, movies like Lion King and like Toy Story, I mean, for me, those are two of the most seminal, in, in, certainly in Western cinema. It just opened up animation. And uh, we can move on to our next point now. I want to go back and touch on this thing of it wasn't a musical, and that for me was pretty big. If you look at all the things that have been done, I mean, I, look, I hate, I don't like the Oscars. I don't like, I, like, nah, I hate I couldn't them. care about how much a film grosses, but these things lended credence. So the fact that the short films that the Pixar guys had done beforehand had been nominated for and won Academy Awards, that meant that Disney's looking at this going, you know, these guys might have a couple of things to teach us. That might have opened the door to sort of them going like, let's not do musicals because the problem with all that is it does change your story. It disrupts the flow, and especially over the longevity of the movie, musicals can be a bit problematic because you need to shift things along very quickly. For the, you know, It's almost like a montage at times. There's so much stuff happening in a musical that you have to change what you're doing in the script just to be able to fit it in. So the music becomes the primary focus. That means there's a lack of primary focus on the story. It means you have to adjust the story. You have to adjust the characters. If it causes plot holes and issues, that's fine. You can't just approach every single movie and say, yeah, man, we have to have five songs in there. And these are, it's going to be like this. And let's write the song before the movie starts and so on and so on and so on. So I, I think just that, I think just them saying, hey, let's not do musicals. Let the music tell its own story and let the characters tell their own story. Doing that means that they could set up this entire film in a different way. I mean, if you think about it, Joey, this movie, it feels big, right? It feels like the world is real and big and massive. Toy Story 1 really takes place in only two places. Andy's bedroom and Andy's house, Sid's bedroom and Sid's house, and the place where the arcade was. Pizza Planet. That's right. I mean, that's it. It's three sets. Yeah, yeah, it's it really crazy. is. And this, this, 
if they would have made this a musical, it would have been a really, really bad musical. And I, I give Pixar a lot of credit for reaching that compromise. Basically, okay, you want us to use song, that's no problem. But the way they use the emotions with the songs for Buzz and Woody was it was just dead on. I mean, it was perfect. Like you already mentioned, you you got a friend of me, but the whole soundtrack to the movie is fantastic. And the difference with the Disney princesses is you're focused only on one character. It's the Disney princess. And here, there's a lot of other stuff to focus on. Like Buzz and Woody are two main, main characters. So it wouldn't have made sense for one to break out into song and be like, well, what the hell's going on here? They're, they're kind of in this together. This is their adventure. This is, again, we've used it a lot, but this is their buddy movie. This is like their stand by me. You know, they go on this adventure together. So a musical would have never worked. Yeah, completely. And it, what it does is at every step, the Pixar guys have sort of gone, yes, we're making a movie, which, which is computer generated. And essentially that's what we're doing to sell this movie, right? This is going to be the first computer generated thing. But they, they continually, continually refocused on building real characters. If you look at subsequent stories, you know, the characters are real characters. Wally, he's just a little robot that, that is obsolete. Nemo. Dory is a completely forgetful, idiotic fish. You know, the, the father, Nemo's dad is just like obsessive over everything. These are not usual characters that you get in Disney animated movies. And honestly, I think if Disney had carried on that way, they would have lost a lot of ground. You know, they would have lost a lot of ground. It's sort of like Superman. And you have a perfect character and you keep on writing about that perfect character over and over again. And it actually culminated in, I think, Aladdin, where his character was just non-fallible. He was just the perfect character. But the problem with Superman and like Aladdin is you can only write about them for a short amount of time before people start going, okay, but and then what? And then you have to give way to stories that are much more compelling and much more real. Like, it's, it's incredible. Uh, if you think about like you said, okay, if Toy Story failed, Pixar would have failed and we would have gone down that route. That way, talking about Toy Story as a movie and not something that was, oh, it was very good because that was the first movie they tried computer generated to the full movie and, and all that. And, you know, because of that, it's a, it's a pretty important movie and that's why we sort of remember it. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about the fact that this was an absolutely amazing movie and what it did is set up all these other really amazing movies that came after it and gave them time. I mean, I've heard that Frozen took like 15 yeah. years to, to, you know, to get from one end to yeah, the other. Yeah, that's a story too. Yeah. I mean, Princess Elsa was a really, really nasty character and they just rewrote that kind of like, much like they did with Woody. But yeah, it's amazing that what, what Pixar injected into Disney, bringing up all these real life things. And, and remember that, you know, from Disney's first movie is Snow White. You know, think about the time that came out. It's a much different world we live in. You know, these things that are in like, what's what's Dory? Is she she just has like a two second memory? She she has like no yeah, and that's memory. you know that could be a lot of different things. So she clearly has something wrong with her. That's not something that would have been talked about. You know, like Nemo as a as a flawed character, like you said about having one fin that's small. Elsa with not being able to control her powers. Look at the beginning of what is it? Uh, Good dinosaurs, where the father dies, and that's that's horrific. When if you're, a, I, well, that's just yeah, uh, you know. And let's, I mean, we want I guess we won't even talk about. I'm sure you're going to do it on your show, but Big Hero Six makes you want to cry in the beginning when his brother dies. It's like, 
up the first 15 yeah, minutes of up i was yeah that movie was, <laughs> hit me hard because that's that's my line of work is elderly people dying and that's him right, losing yeah. his wife yeah. it's like oh man like he it's going to happen to all of us at one point who are married one way or the other it's a real sober cold water over the head way to look at it but again that's mm. real life and Pixar really added that, and Disney. I'll give Disney a lot of credit; they went with it. Mm, mm. And, and let's talk about that because it, it's a bit of a convoluted relationship between Disney and Pixar. Right? Yeah, very- I mean, <laughs> you, you have Lasseter, you have Steve Jobs, and uh, what do you make of, of all well, of that? Well, I mean, it's you had mentioned earlier how Lucas Films was involved. I mean, Steve Jobs actually purchased that section and renamed it Pixar from George Lucas, so. He was driving this whole thing. I mean, he certainly didn't start it. I mean, Lasseter and a few other guys who names escape me right now, unfortunately. You know, Pixar and Disney have always had this. I mean, both sides were always willing, but they also wanted it on their terms. And always. that's basically mm-hmm. all the way it always way it works with um, any kind of companies. But when you do that with Disney, most times you're going to lose just because their pockets are always deeper than everybody else. But they did come to an agreement and in 2006 they sold pixar for 7.4 million to disney which was you know that was steve jobs pushing that and as soon as that happened he resigned which was hysterical because he was the ceo and majority shareholder at that time so Mm -hmm. it's amazing Mm -hmm. how one guy can influence you know even right now his i mean man's been dead for years but I know we're not going to talk about Apple or anything like that, but the way that he could sway that was just amazing. I find he was just a very interesting character. Not the greatest person to deal with, kind of a jerk, but, you know, without Disney giving them money, Pixar was on the verge of bankruptcy. So, you know, they really Mm -hmm. needed each other and it, it came together. Sometimes things, there's no rhyme or reason why it happens, but it came together and they've been producing, I think, what are they up to, about 17 movies now? which is just fascinating. And, and all of them are fantastic, I think. And, you know, the thing is, the thing is about that, I mean, uh, you look at Steve Jobs, you think Steve Jobs was flawed. I mean, look at Walt oh. Disney. Walt yeah, Disney very was, much so. <laughs> was a different kind of flawed, but but uh, perhaps a little bit worse than Steve Jobs. But, I mean, I let the listeners go have a think of that. But the thing is about Disney is that They've, they've almost tried to always rely on that sort of model of having a Walt Disney there, somebody who has this huge imagination. And they've been in trouble a couple times. They seem to forget who they are sometimes and then have to remember it through, you know, really difficult circumstances. And on a couple of occasions, they, they've sort of almost been bought and then the staff have sort of pulled together and remembered what they're about. There's, you know, it's a wonderful story of Disney and, and how they, Look at themselves. And if you ask people, like, what do you think Disney does? Like, what business are they in? And, you know, some people might say, oh, primarily they, you know, they run the theme parks or maybe they make movies or maybe they do merchandise, you know. If you go ask somebody in Disney, they'll say, we make yeah. <laughs> You know, so, something along those lines. And the whole thing, everything is based upon this thing of, we make magic and sometimes they forget it they forget that that's what they do because everything is so commercialized nowadays i mean the toys are ready before the animations are even done which is ironic for toy story because i don't think they actually expect it to be this big i don't know how much of the merchandising stuff was done but 
that's how it is nowadays. You, you know, the action figurines, the coloring books, and all that kind of stuff, that's already done. You just look at the yeah. Disney Channel and how it's reflected in toy stores and wh- wherever you go, you know, so that kind of thing. And, you know, I just wonder, and I, I, you sort of hope that Disney in this whole process of, especially these initial interactions with the group of Pixar and, and what was going on, you just wonder if they sort of thought, it's different, but these guys are fitting in with what they do, and maybe they remind us what it is to really, really make magic, because it is about the technical thing. They're doing it with the technical thing, but it's almost like they didn't care. This is about the story and how we can represent this wonderful story that no one else can do, you know, and, and it, it realigned people to what is good about animation films, because Really, uh, we're talking about before Lion King and more to the point before Toy Story, really. But those two films in particular, animated films were just for kids. Animated films were just for kids. That's all that they were. And at this point, they start really realizing, really opening up what a proper story is. I tell you what, like, I won't tell you why, but I read a lot of kids' books. (laughs) We have literally thousands of kids' books at my father's house. And when you read kids' books, you start realizing that kids' books are, they're not just about small themes. If you look at books like Where the Wild Things Are, these are real big philosophical ideas that you can discuss oh, yeah. with your child, and they will have opinions on it. You know, kids no, are not, not stupid. We think that they're stupid, but they, they, they aren't. They, they will give you an answer, and they will give you a more sophisticated answer than you thought was possible, or a different angle. We have to stop with this thing that we teach kids and kids don't teach us. Kids can teach us a hell of a lot of stuff. We teach them often really terrible things that they shouldn't be learning, you know. And these movies really put it into perspective. It's why I love Toy Story so much, and it's why I love the characters, and I'll always have time for the characters. And I believe Toy Story 3... Going back, that was the, you know, the high, one of the highest grossing, I think the highest grossing animated yeah, movie well, of all time. And you could see why the franchise did that, because it never strayed from what was important to it, and never strayed from the vision picks I had from it. And that's, that's certainly some like, absolutely amazing stuff. Yeah, I could, only, only I could just totally agree with that. And I, I like what you said about the kids, because I, I have a young daughter, and I, I read a lot of those books to her as well. So, yeah, I totally agree. We just said, yeah. No, completely. And that's what this pod is about. It's it's to share those wonderful childhood memories, but it's you know it's also to make people realize that the story is more than just about the format, you know. And that sound means it's time to flip it, right? We're gonna flip the film, and in this section, what we do is we ask some of the more pertinent questions that have been floating around fan forums and the Ethernet for quite some time. And so, Joey, your first question is about Buzz. Buzz has a bit of an awakening during the film. He starts off by thinking that, you know, he's the original Buzz Lightyear. When he finds out he's not, he goes through a bit of a mental breakdown. Do you think all the toys have to go through that kind of awakening? I would say if Buzz goes through it, then probably the rest of them do too. I would think Woody, who was, you know, multiple products made, millions of Woody dolls, I think he probably went through the exact same thing. And with all the toys in this movie, Buzz does struggle with it massively. You know, he thinks for three quarters of the movie that he's a space ranger. And until he can't fly away from Sid's house, he then he realizes, wait a minute. Then he becomes completely depressed. But yeah, I think every toy at some point 
probably had to go through that. They're bought, they're put into a room, either they're in new surroundings, and remember, they always come to wake when there's nobody around. That's a lot of time. Imagine all the time that a toy sits on a toy shelf. So they could be having parties at, at Toys R Us or wherever local toys, whatever local <laughs> toy store you want to choose, and we would never know it. So I think my short answer to that is yes, I do think that they all go through an awakening like Buzz. They all, I mean, to be fair, the, the, the other toys didn't seem to be, uh, I, I mean, they were alarmed at his behavior, but not alarmed that he was going through this kind of thing. So, you know, maybe they have seen it before and they were sort of just looking at how to handle it. The second question is related though, Joey. Do you think toys are conscious all the time in the Toy Story universe? Because this one's a bit uncomfortable. It depends on who you talk to. Yeah, it would be uncomfortable. You and I have a lot of these conversations, okay? So, I would say yes. I would say even when they're, quote on air quotes, knocked out or asleep when somebody comes in, I think they're conscious all the time. Because my retort to anybody who says otherwise is, well, somebody made these. A human being made these toys. So why would you make something and then not give it conscious? It's like the adage with AI, artificial intelligence. So if you're going, if you're going to, if you're going to create something, even if it's as simple as a child's toy, in my opinion, it would have conscience all the time. They do seem to sort of hint at it. I think I remember Buzz remember being played with. Yes, by he does remember it. I think yeah. that, and I think the toys have flashbacks, right? They have flashbacks of when they were being played with by their owners, just you know, whichever. A lot of them. Do. So I, I, yeah, because even yeah. in the second one, they do as well. Jesse does. Uh, and speaking of, I want to throw something. I know you have this part of your section, but I wanted. To, can I throw something out real quick? It's go a little on, theory on, of mine that I have, and I'll, it'll it'll let people think, and it may even may make yourself think if you don't know this already. But my theory is that in Toy Story 2, remember when we first meet Jessie, and she flashes back to when she was being played with as, as the little girl? Mm-hmm. That little girl, I think her name is Emily. Am I correct in that? I think her name is... I'm going to say yes. I, that <laughs> Emily girl is Andy's mom. She's the one who played with Jessie when she was a little girl. And the reason I say this is is because in, in Toy Story 1, do you remember the hat that Andy wears when he has That's yeah. not the same hat as Woody's hat. It's the same hat as Jessie's hat. It is the same hat as Jessie's hat. It's got the That's right. And they, the, um, the they flash yeah, back yeah, to yeah. a scene that little girl oh. Emily has that hat on her bed. So I think what happened is, is that's his mom. She passed that down to Andy that hat that's my little mind damn. f for everybody listening to the end of this damn i will go back and check this out this is this is crazy all right so the final one for the film section is is on andy and uh, i mean andy i i think you can you can regard him as a well-adjusted person but like really andy doesn't seem to be very well adjusted i mean you, you you've mentioned about the father thing he's got two father figure toys that he has adopted as his you know most favorite toys amongst all the toys that he that he has but i'm not like do you think andy has real friends because i'm just thinking back to his birthday and it seems like he only really got one good toy it's probably from his yeah. mom right yeah I'm- like <laughs> how many kids came to his birthday party and one of them got them a really stupid gift one of them was socks or yeah like and, that, then, and they showed that scene where and again go back and look at that too where they're all they're all andy faces but it's only like five kids. And it seems, I mean, the whole other movie, 
when you go to Pizza Planet, that's basically like uh, we would call in America Chuck E. Cheese. Now, I don't know what you guys have in South Africa, and I don't know whoever else is listening to this, but any American will know what that is. It's basically like a big birthday celebration or just big giant arcade to go with you and your friends. And he goes there, and it's with his mom. So it's almost like, to me, like, again, I go back to the point of he probably is a bit depressed because his dad just left. And being how young he is, he maybe either doesn't understand it or doesn't know how to cope with it. And his mom taking him to Pizza Planet is like, okay, I'm going to try to keep my boy's spirits up. And you really don't ever see him playing with friends. You don't see any school scenes. You don't see anything like that. And, you know, I, I grew up with two parents and, you know, I, I'm missing one now and that's hard for me and I'm 35, but I couldn't imagine my father leaving me like he basically does in this movie with him and then leaving you with your mom, who's basically now seems to be, other than your toys, your best friend. And that's hard. You'd have to imagine that, yeah, he is a bit depressed and, you know, the movie is not going to get into, again, it's still geared towards younger generation. Uh, they're not going to get into, like, does this kid need therapy? Does this kid, Is he on medication? But, again, mine and your brain works a little bit different way. So I would say that he probably is <laughs> on that stuff and he is going through what I just said. But, yeah, I would say he, he, he is depressed and, yeah, not very many friends. And it's it's a it's a big adjustment for him not having a father around. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and I think, I think he's a really, not just introverted kid, but like he depends on his toys a hell of a lot more than other people. I mean, as we see Andy get older and older and at some point sort of leave home, he's still heavily Time. attached to, you know, these, these toys and, and both of those action figures and even his, his other toys, he's kept in pristine condition, you know, and, it's a big thing for him to give them away. And if, if you think about that now, like by the time you're looking to leave the house, you don't even remember the toys that you have really. You know, you've moved on to, to whatever the latest thing is and, and whatever your friends are doing. So yeah, man, uh, that, that is a big thing. And it just lends to the buddy movie because there's another thread running through the movie of what the toys do for Andy. And how, you know, how they help him through that time without actually being that much aware of it, but just being there, which it goes to show, you know, people are going through stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, the toys are, toys are a big crutch for Andy. He he leans on them every time, you know, he, he takes them to Pizza Planet. You know, he, they're a major, massive part of his life. So that is a big theme running through it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, man. I, we got to end it there because time's just about up. But yeah, I mean, Toy Story is one of my favorite movies of all time. It, for us, as we're saying, I hope we've set it down here. It's one of the ones that really kicked off the huge insurgence of wonderful movies that have come through. Not, not just, not just in the computer generated animated format, but in, in everything else. And, uh, Joey, before we go, I wanted to ask you to sort of suggest a movie, an animated movie that people just have to watch it you think is sort of one of your favorites that's uh, obviously besides toy story and uh, yeah i'll give you a few moments because i know i've just no no I, right, right off the top of my head i can i say two I, yeah yeah i would that's, say that's awesome. two of my favorites after toy story are big hero six and the incredibles they're just I, I love both of those movies i mean i love i loved up but i love i would say big hero six and the incredibles for me very cool very cool man 
And that has been a wrap. It has been such a lot of fun. Huge thanks to Joey again for coming on to this inaugural Flipbook pod. And now just time for some attribution. I don't own the rights to the sound effects used here, so here's who does own them. First, obviously, we took some stuff from the Toy Story movie itself. This includes quotes and excerpts from the song You've Got a Friend in Me, performed by Randy Newman and Lyle Lovett. We also had quotes from Sleeping Beauty, I think it was, but one of the old Disney movies. The Turner and Hoot sequence that Woody rehearses was taken from the making of Toy Story documentary. Those all belong to Disney Pixar, obviously. Some stuff I took from soundbible.com. These are the following sounds I used. Creepy background sound effect by Daniel Simon. Computer sci-fi sound by BlastRadioFX.com. Cha-ching register sound by Musk666. And from Mike Koenig, Morse code sound, tire squeal, and TV static. Those, as I said, all from soundbible.com. As for future pods, in addition to staying eagle-eyed for subsequent entries, feel free to let me know if you want to have your favorite animated series or movie done on the pod. We'd absolutely love to cover it for you, and we'd love to just hear from you. So, yeah, do give us your feedback. I'll be keeping you up to date with what I'm watching as well in this segment and giving you some honorable mentions to animations that I think you should be watching or that you have to watch. For my recommendation this week, it's absolutely got to be Akira. You have to watch that movie. It might be the greatest animated feature ever made from a technical perspective. It is absolutely fantastic. Big thanks for the listen. Do give us your feedback. Until next time, we will catch you on the flip side. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.